0: You know, we spend a lot of time on this show talking about the technology that's bringing value to the industry. Today, let's look at how do we measure that value and are we getting the ROI we expected?
1: An industry under pressure, innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great
0: ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life, With your host, Michael O'Sullivan.
2: The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation.
0: Hello, folks, and welcome back to another riveting episode of the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast. Actually, today's topic is maybe it's one that people don't always think of as riveting but you might have a riveting conversation with your company CFO if things don't go the way that you said they would go in the way that is expected so keep that notion in mind for a couple of minutes and i want to say just a few other things first before we get to our guests the first is a special thank you to our sponsor cognite as always we appreciate them paying the bills, keeping the lights on, providing us not only with financial support, but also with moral support. It's always great to know that there are companies out there and people out there who want to support this type of good stuff in the oil and gas industry. So check out Cognite.com. They're doing some amazing things with industrial data. So have a look at that if you are not familiar. Also, I want to give a little a little context here before we jump into the conversation. I got a couple of great guests today. They're from a company called Power Advocate. But before we get to that, just a little bit of of a bigger picture view here because I'm looking back at all the great episodes that we've had on this show, all the fantastic guests over over many months here in in the age of digital transformation in oil and gas where people are really serious about this stuff. And they're investing big Everybody's doing it. We see it all around the industry. In fact, I gave this number on a recent episode. I don't remember what it was exactly, but it's something like tens of billions of dollars that will be spent this year, 2021, in the oil and gas industry on digital transformation and all of these new capabilities. So the investment is big. And we'd love to talk about all this stuff, you know, all these. All these episodes that we've had where these really smart people have come on the show and we talk about all the amazing things that we can do now with data and with analytics and with automation and with machine learning and AI and edge computing and the list just goes on. And companies, like I said, they're investing in this stuff and they're expecting to get something out of it. And it makes me think of this article that I recently read. I think I read it in Forbes, but I think I've seen the same reference in other places. So you may have seen this, but, you know, surveying a whole bunch of technology, computing technology projects, they came to the conclusion that it breaks down like this. Something like 25% of these projects, they just fail outright. I mean, just 25% dead on arrival. Then there's another 20 to 25% which I guess they complete and are seen as successful but they don't really show any return on investment at all. And then there's another something like 50% that they they just need a whole bunch of rework and just massive fixing and changing, you know, by the time they're actually finished. So there you have it. That's how it breaks down and You know, I'm not good at math, but I think that adds up to all the projects or nearly all of the projects. So it's not good enough for us to just be excited about the technology and all the great things that we can now do that we couldn't do before. There are operational considerations that we need to think through and plan for and execute on if we actually intend, if we're going to get the value from these investments that we expect to get and that we plan to get. So we've tackled that whole idea on this show on a few different episodes where you know we've had we've had like one or two where we talked about cybersecurity and how to prevent bad actors from ruining all your hard work. And we've also tackled the other side of that which is if you have suffered loss either because of a security breach or because of natural disasters or what have you, how do you recover from that and how do you get back what you had before, you know, whatever happened. Happened. We've also tackled this concept of deployability and operability of these solutions because we know that sometimes these amazing in- inventions that come out of the lab, you know, what worked really well in the lab sometimes doesn't work. It has a little trouble circling the globe and scaling and, and being operated in these very complex environments such as we have in the oil and gas industry. So we've tackled all of those. And today, I want to go back to that, what I mentioned from the article, which was the second group of 20 to 25% of projects, which they complete, but they don't really show any ROI. And that brings us around to our guests today, because these folks are experts when it comes to understanding return on investment, not just the math and how you calculate it, but, but how do you actually get all the information that you need and execute your business in a way that you can continuously understand whether you're getting the value from what you're doing. So with me today, I have Aaron Carroll, who is the Senior Vice President of Client Services for Power Advocate. And she's in in Vermont, but working out of the Boston office and also working out of the Boston office, but located in Washington, D.C., is Paul Gage Capello, who is a Managing Director for Power Advocate. So Aaron and Paul, thank you. Appreciate you guys being with us and making time today. Okay so let's start with Aaron tell us a little bit about who are you and what do you do
3: Hi hi Michael thank you very much for having us today appreciate the opportunity I am a senior vice president in power at power advocate in our client services group and that's the group that is executing engagements with our clients either with our technology or without I right. am a mechanical engineer by background worked for a number of years designing and building all sorts of different power plants and pipelines all over the place. So I've been in this industry longer than I like to admit—30 <laughs> years. We'll leave the plus off for now.
0: Was that thirty of in a year? <laughs> yeah. yeah
3: so we'll just leave <laughs> like that part empty. Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. By the way. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I've been with Power Advocate over 10 years. So started out when we were a very small company, and there were about 20 of us, and now we are into the 200s, and now we are owned by a larger corporation, Veris. So I have quite the history with Power Advocate and have been involved in a number of our engagements uh, across the oil and gas industry, so have a, a sense of you know how we use our data and how we support our clients.
0: Excellent. Thank you. I'm gonna to get to so as you were explaining all that, it occurred to me that maybe we should talk a little bit about who is Power Advocate and, and what do you do? But maybe we'll throw that off. We'll throw that off on Paul and after you so Paul, tell us a little bit about your your role and your background. And then maybe for those folks who aren't familiar with Power Advocate, what is that all about? Sure.
2: Yeah, I'm Paul Gage Capello. I am one of the managing directors in the client services group as well. So I work closely with Aaron. I've been in the industry for about 12 years and spent about half of that time with PA. So, I have done a lot of different things, primarily around cost savings and cost efficiency for clients in oil and gas, as well as around new capital projects during that time. And, you know, my role is really to just lead different engagements with, with our clients, like Aaron sort of alluded to, either with our technology or without. But just big picture, what is Power Advocate? We think of ourselves as an energy solutions firm. So we work primarily with Fortune 500 type energy companies in oil and gas and in other parts of the industry. And, you know, we serve the supply chain part of the organization as well as new capital projects. So that could be anything from pump or compressor stations or pipelines in the oil and gas industry, to power plants on the utility side of the industry, and we tend to organize our efforts around cost reduction. So that's a little bit about about power advocate and and how we play into all this.
0: Got you, got you. Good, thank you for that. I know that the the idea of ROI always comes up whenever whenever we're, we have power advocate in a conversation. Somebody always starts talking about ROI. And in our warm up chat today, when we were getting everything. Functional here. One of the things that one of you mentioned is there's this situation where a lot of times people already have a a lot of existing data just under their own roof that they don't even understand the value of. So, so people are, so if I understand, we always think about looking to external data and benchmarking against external data. And we don't often think about what we already have. It's kind of like our human condition, right? We're always you know more interested in looking outward than looking inward. So talk about that a little bit. What is this whole phenomenon about people not understanding the value of what they already have?
3: I'll start real quick and just say, you know, I think a lot of times folks realize they have the information, but it is not always accessible. Right. And I think that is the tricky bit. I've worked, you know, as an engineer building plants and every time someone would say, give us an estimate, we'd have to go back and claw through our old estimates and again speaking my age those were on paper we'd find the right book and then we'd pull it out and and look at the data even now that all these companies have erp systems and have all that data internal it is still not always easy to access and even if you access it then how do you make sense of it right so i think that's the big differentiator is because we are a data company even though paul and i are on the services side we're a data company and we understand data and we understand how to structure data how to cleanse data and how to view that data and i think that's the service that you know we help people with that journey of figuring out if you have that huge huge trove of data how do you access it and use it and i know paul you were engaged with a client where we really did just that
2: yeah it was reminding me of this experience I had with an oil and gas company that was based in the Rockies. And they were looking at a pipeline expansion project where the original pipeline was built kind of like the turn of the decade, like 2011, and it was right. a major, major job for them. And then around 2017, they were looking to expand that. And so, of course, the first thing that the project director wanted to do was okay well let's call the guys who built the first one and see what it's going to cost to build the expansion And so they were proceeding with that strategy. you know they had a meeting at the Double Tree Hotel with all the all these contractors to go over the plans for the project and tell them to start working on their quotes and one of the clients sort of turned to us and said, hey this would be a great opportunity to do a should cost analysis which is just one of the types of things that we do where we look at how prices changed over time and provide a comparison of what a particular project should cost if, if you look at the market data. And so in order to make that happen, we had to find the original price of what the, the line in 2011 cost, And it was sort of similar to what Aaron was saying, where they had to go into their Oracle system and extract that data and turn it over to us. And that was kind of the first step in a two-step process where, you know, now you have what the old one cost. Now you have to make it believable that the prices from six years ago are relevant. So we were able to use one of the Power Advocate tools to tell a very convincing story with additional data and insights as to what happened in the market over that period of time. But the bottom line was when we finished and we did a comparison to what these contractors were quoting, we found this huge difference. It was like a $25 million difference in the total cost of the project. So that was very yeah. eye-opening wow, for, that's for that's the client. Casual.
0: And yeah, it,
2: it allowed the right, conversation right. to really pivot quickly to like, how do we get savings on this project? Because now, you know, we're looking at a business case that says the quotes are not competitive with what we think they should cost.
0: Yeah. 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 So, okay. So you, so there's a lot in there. If we unpack that a little bit, you have somebody who, has a particular objective like this, right? They want to understand costs. They want to understand the return that they're getting on whatever money they're spending. They want to do some benchmarking. When you first walk into a situation like that, how do you kind of size up? I mean, because everything's not all pristine and ready to go. So how do you kind of break it down and figure out where do you start?
3: I can, from from the work that I've done with clients. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, Paul's example is great. And it it was one project that, you know, it looked fairly similar so they can move it forward. What we find right. a lot of times, though, is there's a bunch of projects, right? How do I get all that information? So one of the things we do is we start asking, where do you capture that information now? Where do you save all your your spend? Do you have work breakdown structures associated with that? And you know what we find is the project group has work breakdown structures and costs, and then the procurement group has all the spend but there's no key sometimes that ties the breakdown structure to the spend. So a lot of our work is just getting in there for the first bit, understanding where that data lives, and then helping them develop key so that they can read the data back and forth, right? Because one project, it's great when we can escalate it and move forward and it lines up well, but now if I have 10 projects, and maybe you are not the exact project, but in the same type of project, I even get a better sense of what your estimating factors should be, how you actually are performing, as long as I have a key to link those two. And I think that's where we come in a lot, is trying to figure out where that data lives and then how do I link it together? Because that seems to be the missing piece. And that's not usually that disruptive because we're just helping two parties connect rather than trying to invent something brand new.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, makes sense. I mean, so that whole problem of we have this data over here and we have that data over there and they don't (laughs) connect. And we see that all over the industry. But I know in my experience, a lot of times, once you start tackling that, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, well, we just need to find something that connects it. And then, but once you get into it, it's not so simple. And you start down all these different rabbit holes that say, well, we can't really relate this piece of data to that one unless we have this other thing. And we can't get that other thing unless we have these three other things. And so do you see that type of complexity? And is that why maybe the problem is so overwhelming and it's still out there and, and people haven't broadly solved it? Is that, is that what's happening?
2: Yeah, I do think that we've run into that one, but for sure where people are expecting things to be almost perfectly in sync and then they never quite get there. But one thing we do to sort of solve that is position what we're seeing as opportunities and then bring them to whoever owns that part of the business, you know, within the client for kind of validation. What are your thoughts on moving this forward? And so that's kind of really speaks well to the roles that Aaron and I and our teams play is not just taking in a new data set and saying, hey, this says you should save $50 million, like go go save $50 million, but doing like an in-depth validation and getting the client's thoughts and buy-in on, on how that could specifically work and bringing multiple ideas to the table, frankly. I mean, I'm doing one project for an oil and gas merger right now where the way we are getting started is by looking at 19 different categories, you know, a certain kind of analysis about cost savings. And so even if not all 19 of them you know resonate with the client we'll we'll have some short list maybe it'll be 12 or 11 or something like that that they say yeah this makes sense let's let's work with you to get the savings
0: yeah yeah makes sense the thing is i guess where i'm where i'm coming from sometimes with that is that we talk you know we have a lot of people that come on the show and talk about solving various data problems and usually somewhere along the lines Somebody mentions that the oil and gas industry has been producing and collecting and dealing with data for many years, and we have extraordinary you know, volumes and complexity in the data. But the one thing, the recurring theme is that we still, ha- in, in many cases... Like we've been dealing with data for a really long time, but we haven't solved the problem in so many different places. It sounds like the good news is there is a path forward on all that to modernize all that kind of, all that sort of thing. And you've got some some methodology and some some technology around it. So talk about that a little bit. How does your technology contribute to solving this problem for, this data problem for folks?
3: You know, I think there's there's two things there, Mike. It's looking at using what well, we the machine learning and algorithms, right, to help cleanse data it doesn't have to be a manual process anymore, right? And right, right. our technology folks are just amazing at that. I'm not even going to try and begin to understand how they do their job, right? Yeah, but they can right. heads they can take a disparate set of data and organize it in a structure that I'm like, yay, thank you, this is awesome, and that's big help. I think the other piece is trying not to get lost in the weeds, right? As engineers, you know, I want to work breakdown structure that's seven tiers deep and identifies everything on the project, right? I got to bring that up a level. I got to understand what my major cost drivers are and simplify my approach to those major buckets, right? Because we tend to you know, when we do a a schedule for a project, I admit we need that level of detail. But if I'm really trying to go back and look at costs, how do I roll that up to really understand my cost buckets and my drivers, rather than all that detail I need, and that these people have the wonderful skill set of executing those jobs and executing them successfully, right? If I'm going to go back and look historically at pricing, I may not need all that data. So how do I get out of that noise level, so that now I can have insights moving forward,
0: and then that's not going to come naturally to the people that are actually doing, like involved in those operations.
3: Absolutely, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny. We went when I first started Power Advocate, and we defined cost models because we are, you know, engineers. We would say, well, the cost model for that turbine has to include every single component on that turbine, right?
0: Right. Yes. Yes. Every crew. Yeah. every yeah. nut and
3: bolt, and you know. And then yeah, when we come yeah. back and look at it, it's like, well, really, there's three major pieces that drive it. So why did I go to that level of detail, right? So we learn those lessons the hard way and trying to kind of move those forward and bring them as consultants. It can get a little tricky at times, but you know, we we recognize that the people we're helping are the experts at executing a project and running it. We're trying to help them simplify it to drive insights for their future projects. Right. So it's not trying to take away from what they're doing, just enhance it so that those simplified approaches can help them do their work better and understand it in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And you mentioned something there about driving insights for future projects. And so many people, they put so much diligence and deliberation into starting up a project and estimating it and planning out the costs and getting the approvals and and i know from having been you know kind of on the vendor side of the business that you know you have to jump through a lot of hoops to prove that the roi is there and then you go and do the project and very rarely does anybody ever go back and prove out whether they got the ROI that they were expecting. At least that's in my experience. And why is that? Is it because it's too hard? Is it because we don't care anymore because it was so hard just to get the project done that we just want to move on? Like, why doesn't that happen more often?
2: Yeah. One thing I definitely see in this market is the amount of volatility in in the market is so high that windows open for a limited amount of time. And so it is really important to have the relationship when you see an opportunity that you can quickly like present it and get approval and move forward with it while that window is still open. We saw that in a lot of different oil and gas categories in like the last six months of 2020 and now the market is starting to escalate again. And so companies that could act quickly on it, probably got some ROI and if you're just starting now, it's gonna be a lot more difficult to achieve those savings that were out there. The other thing that when you were speaking came to my mind, that's been a big focus of our technology. It's a conversation we're hearing from clients all the time. How do we get it to go faster? And so some of the tools have come a long way where it's more, it's less, hey, we're going to start a three-month analysis and then get back to you. And it's more like, okay, the data's at our fingertips. You know, we can see that you've got opportunities on these 20 different things and and five of them are really high priorities. And that's a much more responsive way of, of getting these things done at clients.
0: Gotcha. We're kind of coming around to this idea that once we have some of these things in place, kind of the right data that's been connected and aligned with each other the right way, and we have these tools that enable faster access and intelligence and understanding that data, you know, that all comes together in kind of a future world of things are put together better. And so after you get through kind of the, the messy part of all this, what do you see people that are they're able to do going forward that maybe they, you know, was not achievable before?
3: So, you know, what I see is the velocity has increased. So their ability to, as right. Paul said, oh, I missed the opportunity because I couldn't put together a bid or I couldn't justify to somebody that we thought escalation was going to be this, right? I can do that quicker, have data to support my feeling, right? So now I've increased the velocity from the time the idea is presented to the time that I can actually put something out there to say, here's how much we're going to do it for, right? So now I can take advantage of the market a little bit more, or I have a greater confidence in the price that I'm putting out there, right? I mean, you guys have gone through it. I've gone through it. Engineer comes up with an estimate. His manager adds some contingency. Next manager adds some contingency. The executive adds some contingency. about time (laughs) Right.
0: And now now nobody wants to pay for it anymore, right?
3: So at least now I can say, here's why. Here's our last three projects. Here's how I did them. Here's what I've added for contingency for this client. And here's what I've added for escalation. Right? I have data to support all of that. So now we're not pricing ourselves out of the market as we move forward with a project.
0: And then you can presumably you can also fine tune your methodology or your estimations or right. Like I know that again, when I was like in the it consulting world, one of the things that we were supposed to do that we didn't always do was after we delivered a project, compare it to what we originally estimated and bid, and then go back and fine tune our estimating model so that it's more accurate in the future. But if you don't have, if you don't have all the right data, then it's almost impossible to do that, right? But if you have it, like you're describing, then you can go back and you can have continuous improvement in your ability to estimate and cost these things out.
3: Yeah, we did that with a couple of clients where they would have estimating factors of, okay, if I'm putting in this much pipe, I'm going to assume this much for valves Is that 30%, is that 40%, you know, whatever they had as their, their estimating mm-hmm. factor. Right. And by looking at a set of their projects, we could help them say, oh, yeah, let's validate that estimating factor. 1.3 is a little bit too low or 1.5 right, right. too high, right? So that's another way that you can do that so that as you're in those first stages of estimating, you're now knowing how your estimating factors play out and if they are right. right. The other thing that we sometimes do and we see is I think people don't go back to projects is at least my yeah, experience yeah. has been when I bid a project, I bid it one way then I turn it over to the project group to execute it. And they they massage it and transform it. It doesn't look like the estimate or it doesn't look right. like it did. And then when we get to the end of the day, it's like to go back and compare that to the bids, it's impossible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is, if it's not, if you don't have the fidelity back to what you originally said you were going to do, or at least if you don't, you know, I mean, projects do change as you get into them, but you have to be able to move to size things up, make the right decision and move quickly with what you're going to do or not do to achieve whatever the the objectives are at that moment. Kind of going back to Paul's comment about the window. So this is timely because we have an industry that's under probably more pressure than it's ever been to operate as efficiently as possible. And this goes a long way toward helping. Do you have any like goods, like Paul, you mentioned the one story you were telling a little bit in the beginning, but any like practical kind of examples of what somebody's life was like before and after and how this approach helped them?
2: I really think one of the best examples that, that we see is that merger work. And that's something that is really powerful where almost every time we get involved with one of those, you see concrete benefits because everything is there that you would want, you know, to create lasting change. It's, it's like a one plus one equals three situation where the new company, you know, they're spending more with these vendors. They have a bigger, more strategic lens to look at their operations with. And by going through that process of doing the review across the whole enterprise of what are all these efficiencies they could get, some of the things that they see afterwards is, is what you would think of as total cost of ownership savings. Not only did they like reduce the right. prices on that specific thing, but they actually... Consolidated and streamlined the way they work with all these different suppliers and partners, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know, in the ever-changing world we live in, having fewer vendors to work with and, and a more strategic lens to work with them that has a lot of real benefits for the company. It simplifies things. There's fewer catalog pricing to work with, so that's that's what came to my mind. Anything for you, Erin?
3: No, I agree. I think that is one of the the best examples in terms of really being able to cement the change. Otherwise, you have to have a champion who really wants to, really wants to drive this forward because you got to get a lot of stakeholders on board, right? And you got to get people thinking at a higher level. So if you can find someone in the organization that is, is going to help champion that, you can achieve some of the values that Paul just talked about in terms of, of the merger, right? You can create that new culture, but it is a culture change. And that comes with its own own set of trials.
0: (laughs) Well, we got got culture change happening all over the industry right now. So I appreciate you guys making time today to come on the show and talk about this stuff. I know you're doing great work. There's a few more things that I need to say to kind of wrap this up. But before I do that, people are listening to what you're talking about here and they say, I need to understand that better. How do they learn more about what you're doing and who you guys are?
3: Yeah, you can go right to our website, www.poweradvocate.com. We have a whole section on thought leadership there, on our cost models, and ways to contact us. You know, so I think that's a, a great way to learn a little bit more about us. And then we're very proactive. If you hit that contact us, someone gets back to you really quickly. So I think that's probably a great way to get a hold of us.
0: All right. Thank you. Perfect. So thanks again, Aaron, Carol, and Paul Gage Capella from Power Advocate. Really appreciate you sharing all the your insights on this subject, which, you know, as I said before. ROI. It's not one necessarily that the tech heads get all excited about, but without diligence in things like this, all these wonderful innovations that we invest in perhaps don't deliver the value that we expect. And we all know what happens when that happens. I do want to mention a few other things just wrapping up here. As always, big thanks to our sponsor, Cognite. Please check them out. If you're not familiar with Cognite, cognite cognite.com. Have a look at what they're doing cause talk about innovation, what these folks are doing with industrial data and making it more contextual and intuitive and making it so that people and humans could all happily use the same data together for good purposes, have a look at that. Also gotta mention our street team, the OGGN street team, which is led by the valiant and Noble Warren Spiewak, This is a great year to be part of the street team. It's expanding. It's growing. There are all kinds of ways to get involved. It does good things for us, good things for you, good things for the industry. So check out the LinkedIn group for the OGGN street team to get connected there. You can also connect with OGGN on all the usual social spots and especially our website where you can also join the mailing list and find out about all kinds of things that are going on. And there are all kinds of things going on. And finally... Well, almost finally. A couple more things. If you would like to bring the magic of this podcast to your own event, we can do that. It works. We can do it. We bring the whole thing. We do an episode. And there's lots of options for how you want to get that done. So, you know, it might be a fun thing to uh, bring into your company event or, you know, your nephew's birthday party. You want to liven that up. Anything anything along those lines would be fine. And finally, 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 thanks to our audio wizard, Mr. Eman Fickich in the magical land of bosnia where he makes us sound fantastic and our ever charming and yet persistent producer savannah wilson who will now tell you about our upcoming events
1: hey everybody it's savannah from oggn and here are the events on deck for march 2021 this month we only have three events but if you'd like the full list you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter we send it out every month and it includes more info about the events i talk about here We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, our OGG and Here and Now live event on March 4th at Churrasco's in the Memorial Area of Houston, Texas, and the Texas Wildcatters Open at Black Horse Golf Club in Cypress, Texas. Next up, we have our three online events, Sarah Week from March 1st to 5th, Transformathon from March 1st to 7th, and the TAMU-SBE Career Enhancement event on March 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for March. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.